Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation. AM. It is a Monday. Uh, we got through the draft, and uh, it was an interesting draft to say the least. For a lot of different reasons, and uh, specifically to the Raiders, um, it really felt felt like whatever the order might have been, or whether Alex Leatherwood was on top of your draft board at that point or not, uh, the Raiders' first two selections um, they walked away. I think with two long-term starters and guys that are going to get on the field immediately and make an impact immediately. Uh, in Alex Leatherwood, uh, the right tackle now, uh, played left tackle obviously at Alabama, is going to move to right tackle uh, in the NFL. And I know some people on Twitter were like, oh, they're the Raiders, there they go, switching positions. Out. The history of the NFL shows that there's so many, lots of times, the best offensive lineman on a college football team is going to play left tackle. But depending on where they get drafted and the team that they get drafted to and what the, um, you know, the positional uh, depth chart looks like, a lot of times your left tackle in college moves to right tackle in the NFL. It's not that big of a deal. Not everyone can do it, uh, but I wouldn't expect that this is going to be a hard uh, situation for Alex Leatherwood. Remember, he played right guard for a season uh, as well uh, at Alabama. And then in the second round, getting Trevon Morig, uh, the free safety from uh, – TCU, who was arguably the best safety in this draft. The Raiders got a little bit fortunate uh, in that regard. Unfortunately for Trevon, a little bit of a back situation. Uh, knocked him down a few spots uh, in the draft, and, and there were the Raiders ready to move up really quickly uh, in the second round to go get him. So a, a, a draft, especially those first two rounds, that made a lot of sense. And I think um, they're gonna we're going to look back five years from now and understand that, that they hit a couple of – uh, home runs here um, in terms of solidifying two positions of big-time need. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in our good friend Sam Gordon uh, from over at the Las Vegas Review-Journal, my teammate, my good friend, who was in Cleveland, by the way, uh, during the draft. Uh, Sam, first of all, welcome uh, and welcome back. How was Cleveland? What was the draft um, scene and atmosphere like? What's up, Vinny? Uh, happy to be back on the show. Uh, the, the, I'm listening. The draft scene, the, the atmosphere was, it was frankly, it was incredible. It was incredible, um, not only because Cleveland is a very, very, very vibrant pro sports town with a lot of rich tradition, a lot of culture, and the Browns are good, right? So just kind of inherently, Cleveland is going to be excited about hosting a big NFL event, given the timing of where their team is at. Good for the first time in, you know, 20-plus years. But with that said, I think bigger picture the draft offered some sense of normalcy. Like we, it's been a really tough year uh, all the way around the last, you know, 12, 14 months, uh, obviously tough football season, not being able to have fans, uh, the protocols that were in place. I know it was tough on the players. It was tough on everybody. It's, it's been really, really challenging. And the NFL and Cleveland and the city of Cleveland, and the officials found a way to put an event together where a lot of fans could be a part of it and could be a part of it in a safe way. And I know, you know, the NFL kind of wanted to be on the cutting edge of bringing, bringing live entertainment back and live events back and, they were able to do it successfully. The, the, the stage setup was the biggest that had ever been used in NFL draft history, and that was uh, as a way to accommodate everybody safely and uh, amid the coronavirus pandemic. And there was zones uh, for, for fans that are fully vaccinated that they were able to get uh, closer, a little closer to the action. And I think, big picture, this can be a model for a way to safely bring sports uh, back. So not only, again, to recap, not only is there optimism about everybody's team because – 
no matter who you're rooting for, no matter what fan base you're a part of, like you can celebrate your draft pick and celebrate the hope that comes with it. But big picture, uh, this is hope uh, given the, the, the circumstances of the last year. So it was a really cool experience and, you know, couldn't help but think what how Vegas is only going to do it bigger next year. I mean, this is, this is Las Vegas. This is uh, the only city like it in the world. So really excited to see, based on what I saw in Cleveland, how Vegas uh, one-ups everything because you know they're going to do it big. No question about it, and I'm glad that you mentioned that uh, because the draft is here in Las Vegas uh, next year. And uh, all due respect to Cleveland, it's a proud uh, city. It's a proud uh, sports city without question. Uh, but they do things a little bit differently here in Las Vegas. And you're going to feel the difference uh, next year. But you know what? That is a year from now. I don't even want to think about another draft uh, for a little while. I am uh, past all of that. Um, however, it's time to revisit the past draft or the most recent draft uh, just a little bit. Um, we, we talked at the top of the show, or excuse me, at the uh, before before bringing you in, uh, you know, the Raiders, the sense, the common sense of their first two draft picks, getting their right tackle on Alex Leatherwood, uh, following up in the second round, trading up to go get Trevon Moore. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times, Sam, you and I on this very show and on our podcast, Vegas Nation, Dot com uh, first and ten uh, usually out on Mondays by the way. Um, how many times we talked about right tackle, free safety, free safety, right tackle, right tackle, free safety, free safety, right tackle, right? And lo and behold, first two rounds, the Raiders get their right tackle and their free safety. How much of a looking at it now comfort level do you have for the Raiders that they're going to be okay at those two positions? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel very comfortable about it. And, and you know, I know kind of the talk, the, the narrative and the talk on draft night was that Alex Leatherwood was a little bit of a reach. And then come to find out there were reports that emerged, and you were on top of this too, that there were other teams that would have taken him in the first round. So was he really a reach? I mean, he was the Outland Trophy winner uh, for the best uh, offensive lineman in the country. He was a consensus All-American, and he played at one of the, the, the most historic programs in the country and had a lot of success doing so. It was a big part of a couple of the 2020 national championship team and then was on the 2017 national championship team too. So he comes in with a pedigree. He was arguably the best run blocker in the draft. He graded really well blocking uh, for the run. And we know the Raiders want to run the ball with Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake. So yeah, like you said, um, before I came on, he's going to be making the transition to, uh, to right tackle, but you see it all the time. I think even Penny Sewell with the Lions, the consensus top offensive lineman in the draft is going to be playing right tackle this year. So things happen. Um, this, this, is, this is how it shaked out, and the Raiders got their guy. They got the guy they wanted. And, and then, like you, like you said, they trade up for Trevon Merrick. And, you know, how would, how would have fans felt if, if Merrick was drafted 17th and Leatherwood was still there at 43 and the Raiders traded up? I think they would have been fine with it. It just so happens that they filled the needs in different order. It all works out. You look at Merrick, 6'2", rangy, can cover, uh, can make plays on the ball, can come up and tackle and run support when need be, and feels like the perfect uh, kind of prototypical player to fit Gus Bradley's cover three scheme. Now, like we said on our podcast, we got to see how everything shakes out uh, in the fall because we're only projecting right now, and these guys still have to prove it on the field. But I think when you take a look from a broad perspective, they, they, ha- they had two glaring holes, two glaring needs. They addressed those, and then, then after that, you can draft for depth and take some swings on guys that you think you can develop. So all, 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 uh, all things considered, I thought the Raiders did a, did a good job plugging their holes, and now um, we got to see how it shakes out over the course of training camp and then of course, this fall. We're talking to our good friend, Sam Gordon, from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Uh, you could follow him at by Sam Gordon. He always does a tremendous job. Um, okay, before we get into uh, the remainder uh, of, of the draft, um, and there are some, I, you know, we just talked to Malcolm Kuntz, really impressed um, 
with him. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. But as we sit here on May 3rd, 2021, um, and, and actually, if we go back a few months, um, even at their high water mark, uh, Sam, at six and three, uh, I can remember feedback that I was getting deep inside the Raiders building in Henderson. It was, even at six and three, there is a lot of work that still needs to be done. Got to mm-hmm. get a pass rush. Got to get a pass rush. So there was never not a self-awareness that there were defensive issues that needed to be addressed. You can't do everything all at once. Life would be a heck of a lot easier if you could. I think the Raiders understood all through last year, even at the highest, highest point, there was a lot of work that they still needed to get done um, to get that defense fixed. We've had a free agency period, seven new defensive players brought in. We've had a draft, what, five, six defensive players were drafted. Um, As you sit here on May 3rd, looking at the Raiders, and specifically about that defense, where do you? I mean, do you feel like they they did what they could to at least put themselves in a position, bringing in Gus Bradley included, to be much better off in twenty twenty one on defense? Yeah, no question about it. And part of that is, I think it's really hard to to, to be any worse than they were, right? Like they had, right, like you said, true. they had no pass rush. Yeah, no pass rush. You're hanging the linebackers in the secondary out to dry, and it makes for a tough time to to have a good. It's, it's really hard to have a good defense if you can't get after the quarterback. So what are the Raiders going to do? They go and get Unique Nagakwe, one of the best pass rushers available on the market, and then they build out their defensive line depth from there, right? You bring back Nicholas Morrow. You, like you said, you hire Gus Bradley, who's a proven defensive coordinator that not only can coach and scheme, but he can develop talent. And I think that's a really, really crucial part of, of having good teams uh, in the NFL is being able to identify traits in guys, even those mid-round kind of picks like he did in Seattle, and then help those guys put them in positions to be successful and play their best ball and develop them along the way. So with the, with, you see how they address the defensive line. That pass rush is going to be better. I, you, you would think the young secondary is going to take some kind of step forward, and then you add these new pieces that you can plug in and, and then you can play with and develop and guys with upside. Um, I think it's going to be a much-improved unit. Now, now, with that said, am I ready to say they're going to be a, you know, a good defense or a top-tier NFL defense? No, not at all. We still have to see how it shakes out. But I think that they have the pieces in place now to at least be an, you know, an average unit uh, most, you know, most for most of the season. You have some pass rushers now. You have some depth. You have uh, your defensive backs. You, you got your safety. You got your free safety. You have young defensive backs with some upside, with some room to grow, and, and those guys have some experience now. So uh, I think they, they've done, like you said, they've done everything they could. Um, they, they still have, I think, a long way to go, and it's going to take some time and development on the football field. But they have the pieces in place to, I think, again, have a, at least an average competent unit, at least a unit where your offense doesn't have to be perfect for you to win games. They have guys now that can make defensive plays, game-changing plays. I don't think they had that in 2020. As you were watching the draft unfold, especially defensively, um, were you, like I was, just feeling the presence of Gus Bradley? I mean, look, I don't want to put names to comps to names, but, you know, when you see the fifth-round uh, defensive back that, you know, the long-rangey Richard Sherman type guy like a, like a um, uh, uh, Dobbs from Illinois. And again, I'm not trying to compare guys to, to, to anybody uh, and put that kind of pressure on them, but when you start looking at the skill sets, the body types, the, um, the positions, um, how they can be utilized in certain different ways, didn't it kind of have a Gus Bradley feel to this? Uh, and do you feel like that presence was prevalent? No question. No question about it. Uh, the, you, you look at, let, let's go back to Seattle, right? Like, like 
like you said, the Richard Sherman types. He helped develop Richard Sherman. He helped develop Cam Chancellor. And that you get guys with the kind of the physical tools, the physical measure, measurables. Look at Divine Diablo, for example. A 6'3", roughly 230-pound uh, safety slash linebacker. They're going to be moving him to linebacker. Well, guess who else played at Virginia Tech and was 6'3", and around 230 pounds coming out of college? Cam Chancellor. And that's not to say Divine Diablo is going to be Cam Chancellor, but you watch the game tape, you watch how physical he is, you watch him fly around, you can see some of the tools are there where, hey, you bring him in, you, you, you have him working with Ron Miles and Gus Bradley, and maybe you have a chance to develop him into kind of a, you know, one of these physical box linebackers that can also cover and also get back and make plays in coverage. So, yeah, I think he had a huge influence, and I don't think they would have brought him in without – uh, without giving him the opportunity to build out the defense the way he wants to. And um, I, you look at Trevon Merrick, I think he's going to be perfect for the cover three scheme, uh, and it's going to allow Jonathan Abram to slide up, play in the box a little bit more. You add some insurance with, it, with, with, with other safeties, with other defensive backs, and you create some competition there. You allow these young guys to play this thing out and, and, and decide who the best players are in training camp, and, and you, have a, you add depth and upside in doing that. So, I think Gus Bradley definitely has some influence, and uh, I think it was a really quality hire. I mean, we talked about it all offseason. He has the track record. He's coached really good defenses, and, and he's identified really good players uh, with his drafts. And, and yeah, definitely um, an asset in this particular draft for sure. We're talking to Sam Gordon, a good friend, colleague over at the Las Vegas Review-Journal. You can uh, follow him at Sam Gordon, uh, or excuse me, at by Sam Gordon, uh, and also uh, you know, download the app, Vegas Nation, uh, go to the website, VegasNation.com. Um, you know, uh, uh, when we're talking about that defense, I think there's a, there was, kind of, you know, they, uh, they double down on safety. They bring in uh, Tyree uh, Gillespie from, from Missouri. Yep. Uh, dude looks like he's a little bit of a baller himself. Um, but I think there was an assumption that, you know, uh, all of a sudden Jonathan Abram, they're putting Jonathan Abram on blast. Uh, you know, the pressure's on Jonathan Abram. I kind of counter that a little bit. I actually think Jonathan Abram is in position to have a pretty big year. Uh, now, it's on him, no doubt about it. Uh, but, I, but I do yeah. believe now he's being freed up to go play the position that best suits him. We talked to Ted Wynn about it, uh, that box safety position where he's defending a smaller patch of field in pass coverage to minimize uh, you know, the risk as a, as a pass defender. Not everybody has every single tool in the toolbox. Uh, one of his deficiencies is covering big portions of the field. That's not no longer going to be the case, generally speaking. Uh, and he's also going to be able to be the physical uh, run stopper, uh, physical presence, even on blitzes, uh, playing closer to the line of scrimmage uh, more consistently. I actually think that he's in line uh, for, for a big season. Um, is the pressure on? Sure. It's always on in the NFL. That's just the reality of the league. Uh, but, but your thoughts on, on where Jonathan Abram is and, and, and maybe the kind of year that, that he's – set up to have yeah i mean i think i think you nailed it i think you covered it he was he was asked to do things that like you said weren't necessarily in his skill set not that he was completely incapable but he wasn't playing to his strengths he was being asked like you said to cover big chunks of the field to be put in really tough matchups and really tough situations and uh, i did a story on, on jonathan towards the end of, of the season the 2020 season and talked to a number of his former coaches at juco at mississippi state and his high school coach and they all kind of said the same thing that coverage was, was something that he needed to work on because he's so instinctual. He wants to make big plays at the line of scrimmage. He wants to come up and run support and be physical and, and, and use his physical tools to, to ignite his defense and make big plays. And I think now that he's going to be put in a position where he's asked to do just that, 
um, it's going to it's going to allow him to play to his strengths and um, drafting, like you said, drafting uh, depth behind him. Yeah, you you want to push Jonathan Abram. You want to create competition uh, at every position because that brings the best out in, in players, and that you 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 need depth in order to have a good team. But um, I, I'm with you completely. Now you have your cover three safety. You have uh, with Trevon Merrick, somebody that can that is a, a, a capable that is really capable in coverage, that excels in coverage, that can play that deep third, that can play center field, and that can balance out what Jonathan Abram wants to do well. And we saw the potential and tools at times. And, yeah, it, it, was it ugly other times? Sure, it was. But when it's right, Jonathan Abram was more than capable of flying down and making a big play at the line of scrimmage. And he got through the 2020 season healthy. We have to remember this was essentially a rookie year for him because in 2019 he injured his shoulder in the first game of the season. So he has a full year of tape. Uh, to review, he came into the offseason healthy for the first time and, uh, and, and seemed to be really locked in and focused on figuring out how to make an impact. And I think Gus Bradley, uh, like you said, is going to put him in a position to do that, maximize his abilities, and allow him to play a little bit more freely than, than he was able to play last year. All right, uh, and thank you for, for the time, Sam Gordon. Uh, last question before I let you out of here. Um, as we sit yep. here, what is it, May, June, July, August, September, October? Four months away from the start of the NFL season, you know, give or take, because uh, I can't count worth a crap sometimes. But anyway, <laughs> wherever, however far we are from uh, the start of the NFL season, as you sit here today looking at this Raider roster, looking at what they've done in the offseason, um, is there anything that you feel like is pressing they, 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 that they should do between now and the opening of training camp uh, to further solidify this roster? Uh, pressing? No, I don't, I don't think so. Not, not necessarily pressing. I think you still have some question marks. You want to see how this defense looks in training camp or how these young players develop and how it looks on the field this fall. Um, I would say the other question mark, and it's not necessarily a question mark, it's just that you know, it's gonna, there's going to be some new players, so I guess it would be a question mark, is the offensive line. Uh, Rodney Hudson, Gabe Jackson were such big parts of that unit, of what was a very good unit, uh, especially in 2016, but for a few seasons there, and they're gone. So now you're bringing in a rookie in Alex Leatherwood. Um, you're bringing in a young center in Andre James to see what he has. You brought in Nick Martin, and then you have the veterans, Richie Incognito and Denzel Good. We remember Richie Incognito missed almost the entire uh, 2020 season. So it's going to be a new-look unit and a new-look offensive line. But with Tom Cable doing his thing coaching, um, he, he found a way to make it work last year where Derek Carr, for the most part, uh, had a clean pocket and was able to do his thing back there. Um, that's, that, that's the only kind of area where, where I'm curious to see what that looks like. But – no, I don't think they have any real, real pressing concerns. I think it's about developing the young players on both sides of the ball and, uh, and integrating the new pieces. And if they're able to do that, they should be okay. I, I, again, I think the defense is going to be much better. Um, if that offensive line uh, takes a step forward, I think that offense is still going to be pretty good. You, you bring back most of those pieces. Uh, John Brown is able to come in and replace Nelson Aguilar. Waller is one of the best players in the NFL, regardless of position, and you hope that Henry Ruggs can take a step forward uh, in his in terms of his production in 2020. So, nothing pressing at this point. I think the Raiders have added depth uh, on both sides of the ball, and again, like I said, now it's about putting it out there on the field, trying to develop these young players, and seeing what you have uh, in, in 2021. He's our good friend Sam Gordon. You can follow him at by Sam Gordon. Uh, he does a tremendous job over at the Review Journal. Uh, my friend and my teammate. Um, you can follow him. Uh, go to Vegas Nation. Uh, whether it's the app or VegasNation.com. Uh, keep up with all the great work that he does. Sam, thank you so much. Uh, enjoy yourself. Uh, get some rest, and we will talk to you down the road, man. Thank you very much. Uh, all right, anytime, Vinny. Appreciate you having me, and, and congrats to you on doing a great job for the RJ covering the draft. You were all over everything. Great job once again. We'll talk soon.
I appreciate it, Sam. Thank you very much. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Controversy. Uh, I like it, and we're going to get into that in just a second. But first, before we get to the controversy uh, of the Raiders drafting uh, Alex Leatherwood, we're going to go uh, out to the Raider Nation guest line, Paul, or excuse me, uh, caller line. Paul wants to talk about uh, the draft. How you doing, Paul? Hey, Vinny. Uh, I wanted to thank you for all your coverage, and uh, I'm going to keep us updated on the draft. I want to thank you personally. Uh, thank you very much, man. And, thank you, man. And, uh, and you know what? Honestly. Thank you, guys. Uh, all, all, all of the readers, all of the listeners, all of the followers. Um, it's all love to all of you guys. Um, uh, you know, I know I could get a little heated sometimes, but it, it's all good, and it's always love on my end. Uh, and, and and you're literally the reason why I do this, and I I, I don't take that lightly, and I and I, I really appreciate it. And this. you're the reason why we all follow you on on all our social media and everything. And yeah, we really uh, all of us. I, I can say that we all respect you, and uh, thank you again. Um, Speaking about us getting heated, I, I think uh, I, I don't like what some of the media's not media, but yeah, maybe some of your peeps in your trade and some of the guys mm-hmm. on Twitter. Uh, they gave that that guy Bill Wilson. Uh, they, they've been giving us some stuff, and uh, we all make mistakes. And you know, Bill's damn good at what he does. I've been following that guy for many years, and he's good. And I mean, it was a mistake out of his hands, and uh, they've been giving us. Some, yeah, some and gifts. and real quick, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I, I know what happened. He explained it to me, and. Trust me, uh, as 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 a as a journalist and as a writer, um, uh, I under I, I know exactly what happened, and um, it's just unfortunate, and uh, it is what it is. But he owned up to it, and you know, uh, mistakes happen, and this was an honest mistake, and he's too he's really good at what he does, so oh, don't yeah, sweat him yeah, I mean, uh, too much. I mean, uh, it was just quite unfair, I like to say. I mean, some of the people on Twitter, God, it, it, sometimes it is successful, you know. But, uh, <laughs> it is. I agree. Uh, I agree. So. Uh, all right, Vinny, what, what do you, before I go here, uh, what do you think of our uh, free agents that we got, or, or, or uh, some of them? I I like that. Didn't we pick up a cornerback? Um, I, I think that's the only issue that we kind of need, like maybe some more some more bodies on the corner position. Uh, I don't think Keon Nixon is going to be with us that long, but uh, I'd like to get your thoughts about that, Vinny. Yeah, again, um, I, I like uh, the Douglas pickup. Um, the veteran from uh, Philadelphia Eagles and the and the Carolina oh, Panthers, yeah. uh, Russell Douglas. Um, I think I think Damon Arnett's going to be given every chance uh, to to lock down uh, that job. Uh, I like Trayvon Mullen. I like where Trayvon Mullen, Tray, Trayvon Mullen is, and I like where he's headed. Uh, he's quietly developed into a nice player, and I think that the system that he's going to playing in uh, moving forward, and I think the tutelage. Of Ron Miles is going to be huge for all of these young uh, second. Bingo! Members. Yes, that, that, besides you, us, uh, you know, the Raiders getting you, Ron Miles and, and Bradley. Those are great pickups. Yeah, and 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 at some point you have to kind of sign off on track record. You look at Ron Miles's track record; uh, it's it's impeccable. I mean, it speaks for itself. There's guys that go play for him, you know, who have had a track record or, who, or whose paths crossed with Ron Miles, and they owe him such. 
you know, uh, a, grat- a, a debt of gratitude that they'll go back and play for him later on in their career. So, um, you know, he knows what he's doing, and he's going to get this, th- this unit in order. And obviously, ultimately, it's going to come down to are guys ready to play or not? Are guys ready to take that, seize that opportunity? Are guys ready to learn and, and, and develop? Um, that's that's going to be the final uh, determination of whether this works or not, but he's going to put them in the best possible position because that's what he does. Then it's on the players to take it from there. Um, but you know that that slot cornerback position is still kind of blinking um, in, in as far as you know uh, where I'm looking. Uh, can Amik Robertson hold it down? Do you move Damon Arnett inside? Um, I think that Dobbs. Uh, the kid that they uh, drafted from Illinois uh, has a uh, skill set that translates to slot cornerback. Maybe you go out on the open market. Obviously, there was a rumor about Casey Hayward uh, that was out there, former player of Gus Bradley, former player uh, of, of Ron Milas. Uh, I don't think that that would be a, a bad pickup uh, at all, somebody to bring in and, and, and play that position and play it well. Uh, that's the one part of the defense that I'm, you know, it just it's just it's not solidified in my mind. I think every position defensively uh, is solidified, and 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 what the Raiders did in free agency really set up what they were able to do in the draft. Uh, I think they felt really good about what they did along the defensive line. Uh, you know, they added obviously Kuntz in the in in the draft, and uh, he's a he's kind of a specialist type of a player. Um, but otherwise, they had taken care of. You know, one of those defensive end jobs in in Yannick Ngakwe that allows Max Crosby to be more of a situational player. I don't. That's not to demean Max Crosby whatsoever. I think he's going to get on the field a lot. I just think he was on the field too much these last couple of years, and especially last year. And I think at, there's a point where it's diminished returns. I think if you can manage his snaps a little better, you're going to get a better overall football player, and that's. The whole key in what they did along the defensive line in free agency was to be able to build depth, to be able to maybe cut down guys' snaps in order for them to be better in the snaps that they do play. Uh, and it really did free them up to be able to then address like narrower needs. Like All of a sudden, really, the only starting job that was open was free safety, and they were able to bring in Trevon Morig, the best free safety prospect in the draft, to take care of that position. Now, to me, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see who wins that starting uh, slot cornerback job. But then again, then you go on the other side of the ball. I think they were set everywhere. They got the one position that they needed, and that's Alex Leatherwood at right tackle. Um, so what they did in free agency, even the, free, the wide receivers that they drafted, so they didn't have to really – uh, delve into wide receiver in the draft. They went out and got Kenyon Drake. I know a lot of people were scratching their heads over that. It was actually a very shrewd signing. Now they don't have to deal with that in the draft, or they didn't have to deal with that in the draft. What they did in free agency was able to set themselves up for the draft and really be able to load up and focus on the areas of most pressing concerns. And one thing I'll say, I know John Gruden gets a lot of um, uh, criticism. I know that, Matt, you know, uh, uh, Mike uh, Mayock, the general manager, um, you know, gets criticism as well. But if you really look at the roster and you really look at what they've done over these last few years, uh, they, it's, they just keep checking off boxes. And I've been at this long enough to know that it doesn't happen overnight. You can't solve all your problems in one fell swoop. Sometimes you can't even do it in two drafts and two free agencies. It takes a little while. And that's why I try to remind listeners and when I write about this 
and this is the uh, God's honest truth. When the Raiders were six and three, and I was touching in uh, with people kind of behind the scenes, uh, uh, you know, um, and just saying and trying to get their assessment of where things were, even at six and three, the whole world was talking about them as a playoff team. The whole world was looking at them as, uh, you know, oh, they're turning the corner. But inside the building, in Henderson, there was a hold on. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done. There was an awareness that they weren't where they needed to be. And the most prevalent um, concern was that defensive line and creating pass rush. They knew that they still needed to get that fix. And even if they had hung on and won a couple of those games that they lost late in the stretch, late, de- late in the season, you know, with a minute to play here and 19 seconds to play there, even had they closed the deal on those wins, that wouldn't have changed what they were feeling about themselves inside uh, the building in Henderson. And that's important to note because you can sometimes get caught up in letting wins overshadow weaknesses and maybe camouflage the weaknesses. Yeah, during the season, you want to try to get through it as best as you can and minimize things and try to win as many games. But it takes an honest team to understand, I don't care where we are in the record, we got to fix this pass rush. This pass rush needs a lot of help. And that was the message that I kept getting from Henderson, this self-awareness that things still needed to be done. And it's important, I think, uh, to note that because they understood this was still a process and it doesn't happen overnight. Everyone wants it to happen in the blink of an eye. But this kind of an undertaking that John Gruden and Mike Mayock uh, assumed, this challenge of not just getting the Raiders to the playoffs, but rebuilding this team and building a foundation and creating um, the necessary kind of foundation that's going to help put them in position not just to have fleeting success, but prolonged success. That's the important factor to keep in mind. And John Gruden, to his credit, has resisted whatever urge he might have to reach back into his past and the past scouting report on John Gruden to neglect young players and kick young players to the curb in favor of veterans and the quick fix and his own quarterback. That was what was supposed to happen. Everybody said that that's what John Gruden was going to do when he got to Las Vegas. He was going to bring in his own guys. He was going to kick young players to the curb, refuse to play them. It was going to be all veterans, his own quarterback. Well, guess what? None of that happened. In fact, it was the complete opposite. He's been taking a slow, methodical, prudent, long-range view of all of this. And it's, you know, obviously there's going to be some growing pains. Obviously, it might mean that success or turning the corner might not happen as quickly as as it may if you just go all veterans. They could have done that. They could have definitely done that. And maybe they would have had some you know fleeting success. But that's not what they wanted. That's not why they gave him a 10-year contract. That's not why they said, look, we understand that this might take a little while. It doesn't, it, it's of course you want to happen, you want it to happen yesterday, but more importantly, you want it to be done correctly and right. And build, like I said, that sturdy foundation that's going to help ensure prolonged success rather than fleeting success. So I give John Gruden a lot of credit for kind of bucking the trend. And there's been a lot of criticism that's been heaped on him. But you look at this roster, and all of a sudden you're going, okay, where are the needs? Slot cornerback? Okay, that's manageable. Um, Now, again... Young guys are going to have to perform. Young guys are going to have to take step forward, steps forward, but that's on them, and it's obviously on the coaching staff to now get these guys developed and get them utilized correctly. 
But you can see that the tools are there, the players are there, the players are in place for that to happen. You're no longer grasping at straws. You're no longer like just hoping to be able to mask a weakness for as long. You've got capable players in place. Now it's just taking that next step, and we'll see if that happens. Um, but again, I, I actually give them uh, credit. Uh, for sticking to this plan. There's going to be criticism. John Gruden knows that he's a target for criticism. Um, he can accept that. Uh, but, you know, for the Raiders' purposes, this patience that they're showing, if it does uh, fulfill itself, if, if that patience is rewarded, this team could be in a really good position here uh, sooner rather than later. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. When we get back, we're going to talk about that controversial pick again. Uh, uh, after this break, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila and Bajara. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. Well, I mean, when we made the pick, we had the TVs on, and, and obviously, uh, I, I I forget which group it was, but they were saying they could have had him in the second round, and you know, blah blah blah. And so I understand that the fan base is going to listen to that, and the fan base is going to question it. I love the blah 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 that he gave right there because that's what I'm thinking. Too, blah blah blah. Well, I mean, listen, you're sitting in some studio or on some set. Or whatever the case might be, um, I think you know. I know we think we know everything, but we don't. And trust me when I say it. And I've been on the other side. I have worked uh, for professional teams. I worked for the Los Angeles Lakers for years, uh, and I would we talk to Jerry West, you know, about the draft, about what they were doing, and and and, and it just it's I, it's no disrespect to anybody out there. Everyone's working hard. Everybody's doing their thing. Uh, but to, the presumption of well, you could have had them in the second round. Based on what? Based on who? Based on your assessment? That's your assessment. Uh, if the Raiders thought that they could get um, Alex Leatherwood with the 48th pick in the draft, if they, if they confidently felt that, they would have waited to get him. Just like there were other players on their target that they drafted in the third round and, 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 and whatnot. They knew that those guys were going to be there. They didn't believe that Alex Leatherwood was going to be there with the 48th pick and fat chance he was going to be there in the second round at all. And I've talked to people in the NFL that that's flat out said Alex Leatherwood had a first round grade by a lot of teams. There was a very slim chance, if any at all, that he was going to get through that first round. So you can't, it, the, the presumption sometimes is just um, it's mind boggling uh, to me. Uh, but it happens, and we all have to do our job, and we all play part of, a role in this game. Um, and and criticism is, is a part of it, and I completely get it. It's just sometimes I think that there's a presumption of things that might not be reality. And then when you put that on blast for all the listeners, fans are going to hear that because that's what they're watching, that's what they're listening, and then all of a sudden they're going to go, Mike Mayock, you idiot! You could have had Alex Leatherwood in the second round. Why? Because somebody on ESPN said it, somebody over at the NFL Network said it, and I know a lot of the people on both of those that, that work uh, for, for both of those companies. I get it, but you know, I don't think it was correct. I think that they were flat out wrong, and I talked to people in the NFL who said so. So, 
Anyway, it's it's all fun and games anyway. Hey, and, Vinny, and can I get um, permission to make Mike, Mike Mayak, you idiot, as a drop? <laughs> no, we're not going to go Just there. <laughs> I liked it, though. Yeah, yeah, because uh, that'll that'll get taken out of that. Won't, I'm sure that'll always be taken in the proper context uh, that it was said. But but, you know, um, what was really interesting, too, and, and I'll, I'll say this. When I watched Alex Leatherwood, I, and, and it's not because Lincoln Kennedy is our great friend. It's not because he's the co-host during the regular season, but I, I honestly saw some Lincoln Kennedy-like traits <laughs> with with uh, with Alex Leatherwood, and you know, as I'm covering the draft, I'm doing my, my 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 own thing, and I wasn't able to listen live as Lincoln and and Eric Allen and JT the Brick, who did a tremendous job this entire wait weekend um, hosting uh, the the draft show. I, I wasn't able to get what his thoughts were, uh, but retroactively I was able to hear what he had to say we're going to play this clip in a little bit but apparently he really liked the Alex Leatherwood uh, uh, draft pick and here is Alex or excuse me and here is Lincoln um, and and Eric Allen talking about the, the Leatherwood pick and trust that you have got a guy who can do the job from day one because Mike Mayock repeated a lot of things that I said versatility sure day one starter he's the right tackle absolutely that's why the evaluation came down. And you did. You had left tackles that could play right. You've got a right tackle that can play everywhere on the line. And why is that essential? Uh, do you guys remember last year? Yeah. You remember all the offensive line issues, EA, that we had last That's year? That's right. You remember how many people we had to plug and play? Up and down. You know what I mean? The whole line. It's, it's so, we so, talked yeah, about three, three downs. is all that the scheduled offensive line yeah. played together. And then the same situation echoing about his conversations with the offensive line coach at Alabama, with Nick Saban. So those relationships go a long way, particularly we're in a situation where you don't have scouts on the road. That's critically important. Your scouting department goes out five, six, seven times a year during a college football season to put eyes on these guys and then have your position coach uh, giving you details and information about what he likes, what he needs to be a power-running football team. We talked about all this uh, before, you know, uh, Mike hopped on. But it just echoes a lot about what this organization is built on and what it's about. You know, one thing that really stands out, JTNEA, is that, you know, there are times where I feel archaic and I feel like a dinosaur because compared to by today's standards. But I remember going through the draft process. If teams were interested in you, they have found a way to get in front of you. Either they flew you out to the facility either they, or a coach came and courted you. And you can't do that today. So you can't sit down next to a guy and get a true feeling of what he, where he is mentally, physically. And just like you said, and just like Mayock said, the evaluation process has changed. You have to rely on people that you know or you feel that you can trust and have shown and proved to you before. And it seems consistent. Guys, this is the reason why the Raiders have done what they've done over the last couple of years with their first picks. Where have they gone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Winning programs and teams that, and the schools and the pedigrees that they've trusted to get results. That's, those are our good friends, uh, Lincoln Kennedy, Eric Allen, uh, and JT the Brick, who did a fantastic job uh, this entire weekend throughout the draft. Um, really tip of the cap uh, to you guys um, for, for all the hard work that you put in. And, and, and Lincoln Kennedy and Eric, um, you know, they're absolutely right. And uh, listen, there's nobody that's going to shoot straighter than Nick Saban. Good, bad, and indifferent. If there's flaws in a guy's game, if there's weaknesses in a guy's game, if there's character issues uh, about a player that he's coached, he's going to tell the truth um, to, to teams that come calling. 
And um, by all accounts, I mean, listen, Alex Leatherwood was a captain. And I know that sometimes, you know, we take that kind of stuff as like almost like it's corny. It's not. It really isn't. Do you remember a few years ago uh, the quarterback that, ironically enough, the Raiders drafted and pretty much lasted here, you know, what, two years maybe, who wasn't typically in most college teams your quarterback is going to be the captain that's voted on. What, even one of the captains. Usually there's multiple captains of a college football team. It's usually voted on by the players, teammates, or selected by the coaches. In any case, a lot, most times, I mean, I, you probably could count on you know, one hand the times in a high big-time program, winning program where the quarterback wasn't part of the captain group. It's just that's kind of that position. So it's conspicuous when a quarterback isn't a captain. And if you remember Connor Cook from Michigan State, I could vividly remember being in Indiana at the scouting combine at his podium when we asked him, hey, man, what's the deal here with you not being voted team captain and blah, 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 blah. And, and because there was some speculation that, his teammates just didn't like him that much. His teammates didn't believe in him as a leader, as a captain. You know, and he poo-pooed it a little bit. And, and, but, I mean, is Connor Cook even in the NFL? I'd have to look. I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, run him over with a truck and then back it up and run over him again. But in any case, he didn't last here long. And I don't know the reasons for that. I wasn't covering the team when Connor Cook was here. All I do know is he kind of flamed out pretty quickly. And... Did it have anything to do with character issues or anything like that? I don't know. Again, I wasn't. But it seems pretty conspicuous to me that a guy coming out of college um, who very, very conspicuously wasn't named a team captain on his own team by a vote of his own teammates as the quarterback of the team just seemed really a little bit odd. So I don't use that lightly, or you shouldn't look at that lightly when a player is voted a captain of the team, whether it's by the coaches or whether it's by his teammates. And so when Alec Leatherwood comes to the Raiders and on his resume is uh, a captainship at Alabama of all places, rest assured, that's pretty big stuff. And it tells you a lot about the kid. Um, so on top of winning the Outland Trophy, that's voted, that goes to the best college lineman in the country. Um, Alex Leatherwood's going to be able to play. I, I don't really have any concerns about that. He's going to be a day one starter at right tackle. Uh, and, and I really did like this draft. Was it a perfect draft? No draft is perfect. Um, sometimes you have to settle for guys, guys that you really wanted, maybe at a certain pick were already drafted, whatever the case might be. But I really believe the Raiders can feel good about this draft. And I really feel Raider Nation can, be, can feel good about this draft. It made sense. You got two starters in Alex Leatherwood and Trevon Morg. You've got guys that could push for starting jobs or at the very least get on the field situationally in uh, Divine Diablo and uh, Malcolm Kuntz. And I think in uh, in, in the cornerback from, from, from Illinois, uh, Nate Hobbs, you've got somebody that has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and profiles to be somebody that could get on the field eventually. Maybe that'll be sooner rather than later. Same thing with Tyree Gillespie. It's not going to work out for all of these guys. But this draft made sense. It filled needs, and I think that the Raiders have some development players 
uh, that can be big parts of this team moving forward. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Baja Dr. want to say thank you to all the callers. Uh, thank you absolutely to Malcolm Coons. Thanks to Ted Wynn, Sam Gordon. Uh, for, for joining us and spending some time with us in the huddle. Thanks to Damon Cotton, our great producer. Appreciate all the calls, all the love, all the passion, all the insight. Thank you to everybody. We'll be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. <laughs>